pray. Lord, thank you for this time together. Thank you for this time of year. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for this church. Thank you for each person in this family. Just pray you bless our time in the word in Jesus' name. Amen. I did forget to mention today's a special day in the history of our nation. Pearl Harbor Day, December 7th, 1941, a day that will live in infamy. I have a friend in Mount Vernon who was at Pearl Harbor, Jerry Washmuth. You may know him from the Marine Corps. Great guy. Just just, uh, was there in the middle of that moment of history. And, And I've never been to the memorial. Some of you may have been to there and seen Arizona. I guess it's still down there. And uh, there's some brave men and women that made it possible for us to be here today. We don't ever want to forget that. When I was about seven or eight, I had, uh, I lived on a little mini farm over in Linwood, north of Linwood, um, with my stepdad and, and mom. And it was kind of a cool little farm. But near the little farm was a pond, and we used to go down to the pond, and in the winter when it freeze, we'd skate on the pond. Didn't happen very often in Linwood, but once in a while you could. But in the summer, we'd go down there and, and go swimming. I was like seven or eight, and um, we'd built this raft, and it wasn't much of a, a vessel. Anybody built rafts when you were kids? A few sticks tied together, and you, you got something to float on. And, and uh, so we're on this raft, and I'm on there with my big sister, and I'm excited. I'm seven years old, Lloyd, and I get to go out on the water, you know, because they didn't let me go out there very often because I didn't know how to swim. It was probably a good idea. But I'm, uh, I'm out there on this raft, and my sister's on the edge of the raft, and I'm on the other edge, and she's getting ready to dive in because she knew how to swim. And um, as she's getting ready to dive in, I'm a mischievous young seven-year-old, decide I'm going to go up and push her. So I go up to push her, but because our raft wasn't real stable, with two people on that end, what did the raft do? It flipped up, and guess where I ended up? In the pond, going down, not knowing how to swim, thinking, this is it. And then I'll never forget, for some reason, all of a sudden my head came up out of the water, and and I could breathe, and I was alive. And and I kind of looked over my shoulder, and here was my big sister with her arms around me, and she was just tall enough to reach bottom and to extend her arms to get me above the water. And she took me back to the raft, and I, and I got on the raft, and, and I, I'm here to tell you about it today because that could have been it when I was six or seven. And the reason it wasn't it is because I wasn't alone. Somebody was there. It wasn't just me. If it was just me on that raft, I wouldn't be here, but I had somebody there. Who cared? And that's what I want to talk about this morning is about how much we need each other. We really need each other. God didn't intend for us to do this alone. And especially as Christians and as brothers and sisters in Christ, we need each other. And if you go back to the book of Genesis in the very beginning, here's what God had to say about it. The Lord God said... It's not good for man to be what? Alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. It's not good for us to be alone. We need each other. In fact, in the Bible, 
in the New Testament, there's a whole list of what we're supposed to do to one another as Christians. And there would be no one another passages in the Bible, Tom, if there weren't one another or one another to do the one another's with. And I went online just to see how many one another's there were in the New Testament. How many one another verses do you think there are in the New Testament, Bill? I'll tell you. I got the answer. 59 one another's. According to Carl F. George in his book, Prepare Your Church for the Future, 59 one another's. There's some of them up there. Here's, let me read, not all 59, but a few. Be at peace with one another. Wash one another's feet. Love one another. Be devoted to one another. Honor one another. Live in harmony with one another. Accept one another. Instruct one another. Greet one another. Wait for each other. Serve one another. Carry each other's burdens. Be patient with one another. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Forgive one another. Speak to one another in psalms and hymns and songs. Submit to one another. Bear with one another. Forgive one another. Teach one another. Love one another. Build each one another up. Encourage one another. And on and on it goes. Don't grumble. Pray for one another. Live in harmony with one another. Love each other deeply. There's a lot of one another's that we get to do to one another by the power of God's spirit. Because in the natural, we're not into giving out to one another. We're into receiving. That's the way we're wired. But when you become a follower of Christ, all of a sudden you're looking outward because you're a new creation. And he said, this is the way the world's going to know that you're my followers because of what you do to one another, how you love one another and forgive and pray and stand with one another. And as you go through the one another passages, you begin to discover that God wants us to do this thing together. In fact, when the early church started, it says when the day of Pentecost came, they were all with one accord in one place. Somebody told me this is the only occasion where there's a car in the Bible the king, another version says they were all in one. Oh, it does say that. All in one accord. Yeah. Forget that. That's like someone said there's baseball in the Bible. In the beginning, God created heaven and earth. In the beginning, right? But no, they were all in one place in one accord. In other words, there's 120 people in this upper room waiting for something to happen. And they weren't just sitting around waiting for something to happen. They were praying. They were singing, Willie. They were encouraging each other. They were excited in this group of 120 who would be the foundation of the church that reaches all the way around the world today. They were there in one place and one accord. It wasn't just one guy. Wouldn't you love to have been in that upper room? 120 people. Waiting. God said, go and wait. God's going to do something. God's up to something. You know, we're still part of that group. God's still up to something. When people come together in Jesus' name, in one accord, when a body of believers form this thing called the local church, and they're together in one accord, God is up to something. 
and he moves by his spirit in ways you can't imagine. And that 120 were in that upper room waiting. And it had been uh, 10 days since Jesus had ascended. And, you know, they're starting to think, man, it's been 10 days. What's going on? And all of a sudden, a wind blows through that place, a mighty rushing wind. And the spirit of God descends on them. And there's tongues of fire sitting on their heads. And they begin to speak out in languages they'd never learned. And the people around them can hear the gospel being preached in their languages. It's a supernatural move of God. But it took a group of people committed to each other. Committed to one another who were willing to wait on God and see what God would do. And God's speaking that to you and me in our hearts that God has called us here for such a time as this to commit to each other, to love and, and nourish one another and wait and see what God will do because we take a group of people who are empowered by the Spirit of God who love each other, watch out. You'll turn the world upside down. You'll turn the Sidewoli upside down. You'll turn your family upside down by the power of the Spirit working through a group of people. And we're not perfect, are we? Somebody said we're all cracked pots, you know? And God likes to use cracked pots. And God has a sense of humor, doesn't he? I mean, he made me, right? (laughs) Don't laugh, he made you too. (laughs) We're all different, we're all unique. We all have our strengths and our weaknesses. And if we can love one another and extend grace and forgiveness to one another, we can work within the framework of God's love and still be different. And that's one thing that God wants us to learn and discover is how that we can be there for each other to see great things happen. And one of the best illustrations of that is found in a little story from Exodus, one of my favorite stories in the Bible. If you have your Bibles, you can flip there, Exodus 17, 8 through 13. Here's the background. The Israelites have been slaves for 400 years. Mo comes and says, hey, let my people go. Pharaoh says, no way. God says, yes way. And it happens. The people are released. They're going through the desert. Moses leading probably a million, million and a half people. They're out in the middle of the desert. Then you're in the desert and desert storm. There's no water out there. They're upset. You brought us out here, no water. Mo says, Stand by, talks to God. God says, hit the rock. He hits the rock, and what comes out of the rock? Coca-Cola, right? Water gushes out of the rock. The people are excited. They know God's with them. There's a million people moving through the desert, and things are good. Things are moving on, and uh, everybody's excited uh, because God's at work. Let me tell you, when God begins to move, expect opposition because the devil's not just going to say, oh, no problem. Go ahead, church. You, you can turn your world upside down. No, he's going to get in there and do everything he can. He's going to throw things in the mix to try to get you discouraged. But God wants us to stay on course. And that's what happened here in Exodus. God just sent water from the rock. Miracles are flowing. Things are happening. And then all of a sudden, the Amalekites came and attacked the Israelites of Rephidim. What do you mean? God, you brought us out of the desert. We've got water. You're moving by your spirit. And now these Amalekites show up to attack us? What's going on? We need each other because things happen, right? You're going along through life. And Jerry, you get a phone call. Your world changed. You didn't expect it. You were going along in life. 
And all of a sudden, the Amalekites show up. And as Christians walking with Jesus, there's going to be times when the Amalekites show up. Out of nowhere. You didn't see it coming. Unexpected. But I want you to know when the Amalekites show up, you're not alone. God's with you. But not only is God with you, but we're with you. Those are the times where family comes together. Those are the times where we really find out what it means to love one another, to forgive one another, to serve one another. Even though we're all messed up and we're all cracked pots, we have the power of God's spirit to learn how to live together in love and harmony and how to hold one another up when the Amalekites attack. The Amalekites attacked. What do you do? First thing you do is pray, don't you? Cry out to God. Oh, God. He's a very present hope in a time of trouble. And that's what Moses did. As he cried out to God, God told him to do something. And so Moses goes to Joshua, and here's what he says. Moses says, Joshua, come choose some of our men and go fight the Amalekites. Tomorrow I'll stand on the top of the hill with the staff of God in my hands. So Joshua fought the Amalekites as Moses had ordered, and Moses and Aaron and Ur went to the top of the hill. Moses said, listen, if we don't do something, we're going to be destroyed by the Amalekites. You know, I prayed and God said, this is what we're supposed to do. Joshua, you go down and fight. Aaron and Ur, you go up on the hill with me. And I don't know how it works, but, you know, Joshua might have said, wait, 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 wait a minute. How come Aaron and Ur are going up on the hill and I got to go down and fight? You know, how about Aaron and Ur go fight and I go up on the hill? How about you, Mo? You ever get in disagreements as a family? Any families ever have disagreements? It's the holidays, you can be honest. We agree to disagree, don't we? Church families can have disagreements the way people do things. I think we ought to do it this way and that way and we can get all bent. But the main thing is that God uses us in different ways and we can look beyond our cracks and, and understand that God uses broken people to do his work and it's not going to be done perfectly. And that's where grace binds us together. It, it glues us together. Because I've done dumb things and some of you looked at me, what did you do that dumb thing for? I don't know. But, I still, but you still love me. And some of you may have done dumb things and I still love you. The cool thing about the body of Christ is we can do dumb things and still be loved. Because we're all trying. Our goal is the same. Our goal is to live for Jesus and to point others to Jesus. Isn't that it? It's pretty simple. We want to live our lives for Jesus. We want to reflect Jesus in everything we do to everybody. The world will know we're his followers because of what we do to one another, and we want others to know Jesus. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Live for Jesus and point Jesus, others to Jesus. And this is where it happens in a group of people who are all different. It happens when they're knit together in bonds of love. And so Joshua and Moses and Aaron and Ur come up with this plan, and I don't know if there was an argument, uh, but they realize something that we need to realize. We're all different, right? Wouldn't it be a drag, Johnny, if we all looked the same? We all dressed the same. We all wore right robes, had bald heads and a little thing on, you know? 
and, and that's us. I love variety. I look at each of you, you're all different. You're all special. And the Bible says that about us. We shouldn't surprise us. Even so, the body is made up, not made up of one part, but of many. Now, if the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, it would not stop being part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, it would not stop being part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But in fact, God has placed the parts in the body, every one of them, just as he wanted them to be. They were all one part. If they were all one part, where would the body be? I'd like to just have me up here as a mouth, you know, or an ear, you know, or an eyeball. You know, some of those cartoons, they got this eyeball that walks around, you know. No, we're all different. Some of you are feet and hands and ears. And, and you ever see snow? No, you love snow. Beautiful. June, did you know, you probably did, every snowflake is different. My understanding is there's not one snowflake that looks like another snowflake. And there's trillions of snowflakes. How can that be? God. And there's not one person here who's exactly similar to the person sitting next to him. We all have unique fingerprints, unique DNA. We're, we're, we're all special. And every one of you is important. That's what I like about the church and the family of God. I like the variety. Some of you are, are just gifted in, in things that I've never even thought about being gifted. And some of you bring joy. Some of you bring compassion. Some of you bring all these different things, all the different gifts. You know, if we were all administrators, we'd get a lot done, but there wouldn't be anybody to do it with because administrators a lot of times don't have a lot of compassion. Let's get the job done. You know? And if we're all the compassionate person, we'd spend a lot of time praying for each other. We wouldn't get anything done. We need everybody. In fact, I heard a story about a hole in a roof. As a church, there's a hole in the roof. One morning, the story goes, uh, there was a storm the night before, and they came to church, there was a hole in the roof. So the pastor called together his, uh, his team of, of people from the church, members of the church came together. They had a meeting, Sherry, to talk about the hole in the roof. And they said, what should we do? And the person with the gift of ministration, here's what we need to do. We got to go out and buy lumber. We got to get wood. We got to get contractors. We got to get this deal rolling. We got to get her done. You know anybody like that? Get her done kind of people? And then there was a person with the gift of hospitality. And some of you have that gift. These are gifts that are mentioned in the Bible. You know what the person with the gift of hospitality said they should do first? We got to make the coffee. And give it to the workers that are going to become, because they got to be fed. In fact, we better make some food too, right? And we're going to take care of them. And then they had the person with the gift of encouragement said, oh, no, no. First thing we got to just get on the phone and call all the congregation because they're really going to be upset that there's a hole in our roof and we need to pray with them and encourage them because they're going to be real discouraged. And then the teacher in the midst said, oh, no, no, we need to... Uh, Think about this theological and, and, and decide what God's trying to teach us. And then I'll preach a sermon on the meaning of the hole in the roof. You know? and, then, and then the person with the gift, of the, the gift of giving, and that's another gift in the Bible. People that just give, they said, oh, no, the first thing we need to do, we got, you know, we got to have a, a Thanksgiving auction and raise some money to fix the hole in the roof, right? Let me ask you a question. Who was right? Who had the right answer? They all did. Every one of them. 
Sure, they need to fix the hole. You're right, Mr. Administrator. But they're going to need some coffee and food. And people are going to need calls and be encouraged. And we need to raise some money to take care of it. And you're all right. And that's the thing we got to remember in a body of believers is we all have different gifts. We all approach the problem from a different perspective. But we all have the same goal, and that's to what? Fix the hole in the roof. And the problem in our society and culture is people are lost. And we're all going to approach how we're going to reach that hole. And we're going to do it through the love of Christ and through loving one another. There's no other way. It's through love. It's through uh, caring. It's through holding one another up. And the world looks at that and they lean in and go, wow. We'll talk more about that next week. Powerful, powerful, most powerful thing in the whole world. Fix the hole in the roof. So Moses and Aaron and Ur go up to the mountaintop. Joshua and the boys are down in the valley fighting the fight. And up on the mountaintop, Moses holds up his staff. And as long as he held up the staff, the Israelites were winning. But whenever he lowered his staff, who was winning? The Amalekites. Let me ask you a question. How long can you hold a staff up by yourself? If Moses was alone on that mountain, I don't, we wouldn't be here today, I don't think. The Israelites wouldn't have made it to the promised land. The Amalekites would have took care of them. They would have been defeated. Moses was doing his part. Every one of you are doing, doing your part. And that's important. But there's a time when you need somebody to come alongside. Moses is holding his hands up. And he's carrying his own load. The Bible says something neat. It says each one of you should carry their own load. Each one should do their own part. There's a certain load that God expects us to carry. And Moses was doing his part. But sometimes that load gets heavy, doesn't it? Sometimes that load becomes more than you can bear. And Moses' arms dropped. Has there ever been a time in your life when your arms drop? I'm going to have to ask you, Jerry, your arms have dropped. But you're not alone. Moses wasn't alone. Up on that hill, there were two others. In this church, there's many others. And when those times come, when a brother or sister can no longer hold their arms up because the burden and weight of life has so drugged them down, whether it's a tragedy that comes in a moment or it's been a process of time and they find themselves where they can't even lift their hand to their mouth, someone needs to come along and lift that spoon and feed them. And that someone is you and I. When Moses' hands grew tired... They took a stone. I see him rolling the stone in place. Mo, have a seat. Man, you're tired. You've been holding that staff up by yourself for hours. Moses, we appreciate what you're doing, but you can't do it anymore. And your hand goes down and they lose. But we want, you know, Moses, you're not alone. 
And they sat Moses down on that rock. And I love the picture. Aaron on one side, Ur on the other side. They held up his arms. They carried the burden. And there's times in life where we need to, someone who will come alongside and hold up our arms. And there's times in life where we need to come along somebody and be the arm holder. And most of us have been on both sides. Has there been a time in your life where you couldn't lift your arms up and somebody came alongside you and lifted them for you? What, is that, what does that look like? The person who's lifting arm. What does that look like practically? That means... Picking up the phone and calling somebody, say, I'm just thinking about you. I know you're going through some hard times. I want you to know I'm here for you. It's going to that email and sending out, I want you to know I'm praying. It's coming to church and giving somebody a hug and saying, I know you're going through hard times. I'm with you. What can I do? It's a hand on the shoulder that says, I care. Because we live in a world that doesn't do that. And if the church can't do that, I don't know where it can happen. But the church does do that. We come alongside a brother who just lost a son. It doesn't take the situation away. It's a a tragedy of life. But in the midst of the tragedies of life, you're not alone. You're not alone, Jerry. We're with you. And any others that are going through those things. And there's going to be times where you're the one holding arms. But there's going to be times where someone's going to hold your arms. And the thing we have to guarantee to one another here is that we'll be arm holders when our time comes. That's what love is. It's not just when things are going well. It's when there's struggles going on. You know, we have a young pastor and his wife who are part of our family now, and we've invited men. We need to come around them, embrace them, encourage them. They're going to have a baby in about two or three weeks. That's going to rock the world. And us who are mature and been around and have had babies, well, I haven't had one, but I was there when it was born. <laughs> Same deal, right? No. Not quite. We need to come around and encourage them and hold their arms up. They've got a heart to reach this community. We need to come around and say, we want to be part of supporting you, encouraging you, because God's at work. And those times when we need that. I remember when I was a, a new pastor. My first pastorate was in Lacano. I was 29 years old, just graduated from Bible college. I went for a year, kind of worked, and then God led us to Start a church in LaConnor, Washington. I didn't know where LaConnor was, you know. And uh, we went there and, and uh, we, we sold everything we had. We didn't sell, have anything to sell. We just packed everything we had into a, a, a U-Haul, had a year and a half, and a three-year-old, two little babies. We go to LaConnor to start a church. I don't know anybody, but God said go. I remember one of the pastors who part of our denomination has sent us, said, I said, what do you do? And he said, well, just pray and see what God will do. I said, well, we can do that. So we moved into a one-room shack. It was a one-room shack. 
There was no bathroom, separate bathroom. The bathroom was in the corner and they had a little half wall around the toilet. You know, that was, and it was a shack. There were weeds growing up through the floor. And, but we had a place. And attached to the shack was this little storefront thing that we were going to hold services in. And I remember we got there, and the day we got there, our year and a half old was sick. He was throwing up. We went to move into the shack, and the people who lived in the shack before us had a dog, and they let their dog go in the shack. So the first thing we had to do was clean out the shack. And at night, we slept in the shack. And on Sunday mornings, the shack became our Sunday school classroom because we didn't have a classroom. And our kids and all of us slept in the one-room shack. And I remember when we, the day we got in there, we unloaded everything and we're all tired and exhausted. The little guy's throwing up and my wife, you know, and me are there and we look at each other. Did God really call us to be here? And I said, I know he has. And she said, I know he has. And, and, and we just prayed and, and we were sitting there and all of a sudden we heard a knock on the door, Ben. Knock, knock, knock. Who could be knocking on the door? Nobody knows us here. Only person who knows us is the barber, and I stopped by and told him we were starting a church in case uh, he had a fish in his window. And he said, oh, I'm so excited. We've been waiting for you know, an evangelical church to get started. We'll, we'll be there. And I was so encouraged. Well, we got one, one person that will be at church the first Sunday. And my wife and I are sitting around in the, in the middle of the shack, in the middle of all our junk, Wondering, God, do you really want us here? And there's a knock on the door. And it was a barber and his wife, Dick and Linda, you know him, Ben. And they had this gallon jar of stuff. It was white, but it had stuff floating on top. And we were from the city. I grew up in Seattle. And they said, here, we brought you some milk. Well, it's not in a carton, you know. What is this? What's that stuff on top? Oh, that's cream. Well, you, you know, you can do stuff with it. And, and, but the coolest thing, they said, we just want you to know. We're so glad you're here. And we want to give you this milk to welcome you and let you know we're praying for you and we're part of what you're doing and we want to reach LeConnor for Jesus and we want to come alongside you. After they left, I think my wife and I just cried, thank you, Lord. Just a reminder. They lifted our arms up. My arms were like this, you know. Here we are. I don't have a, I hadn't got a job yet. I didn't know anybody in town except the barber. And here's that knock. It's encouragement. Those times in life where we can encourage each other, make a difference. Because I want you to know the Amalekites wants you defeated. Satan's come to do one thing, to steal, to kill, and destroy he wants to do that to you. He wants to do that to churches. He doesn't want God to get the victory. And Moses couldn't keep his arms up. So Aaron and Ur came alongside and his arms went up and they stayed up. And they stayed up until sunset. He wasn't alone. And we're not alone here. We have each other. God has a plan and purpose. And you know what his plan and purpose is? After we carry each other's burden... Joshua overcame the Amalekite army with the sword. God wants us to be overcomers in the, in the sense that we live a life of victory for him personally and the people out there who are being taken captive by Satan are set free and many come to know him. They held their arms up until sunset 
and Joshua won the battle. And the Israelites continued on to the promised land. And they got to the promised land. And from the promised land, you know the rest of the story. Uh, Jesus was born as an offshoot of Abraham. And we celebrate Christmas this month. And we celebrate the fact that God came and he grew up and he died and he rose again. And he offers you and us forgiveness and new life. And he offers us something as part of that. And that's each other. We need each other. We need each other. When I read the newspaper, I watch the six o'clock news, I said, that's overwhelming. But when I come here and there's brothers and sisters who, who know what it means to experience the joy of the Lord, who knows what it means to go through a hard time and find the strength that only God can give, we have something here that the world can't give and the world can't take away. We need each other. When I was in the well, let me read this verse from Ecclesiastes. Two are better than one because they have a good return for their labor. If either of them falls down, one can help the other up. But pity anyone who falls down and has no one to help them up. I pity that person that is all alone who doesn't have a family like this. If two lie down together, they can keep warm. But how can one keep warm alone? The one may be overpowered, two can defend themselves, and a three-cord strand is what? Not quickly broken. Two are better than one. Three are more powerful than two. There's something about being a group of people connected together that is powerful when it's energized by the Holy Spirit and it's undergirded by love for one another. When I was in the service, I was a survival instructor, and we used a lot of this stuff, 550 parachute cord. Anybody ever hear of that? Ben, some of you have been in uh, I taught survival, and I was in the Air Force, so we figured if you survived, you had a parachute, because if you didn't have a parachute, you probably didn't survive. So we would take the lines off the parachute and teach uh, pilots and air crew members how to do things with parachute line. And one strand of that line coming down with a parachute has 550-pound tensile strength. It'll lift 550 pounds. But sometimes we wanted something stronger. So what did we do? We braided it together, didn't we? You take five strands there and you begin to braid that thing together and you end up with something that's more strong than one could ever be. And that's the way it is with the church and the family of God. One standing alone will fall, but where there's two, they have each other. Where there's three, there's strength. And where there's more that are knit together in bonds of love, watch out, world, what God will do. Amen? And God, I believe, has taken us through a process of wanting to braid us together in bonds that can't be broken. Because it's as we stand unified, the Bible says there's one body, one spirit, one church. And our purpose and goal 
is to glorify God and to reach others. And we do that by being there for each other. By being an Aaron or an Ur. Here's your challenge this week. Look for people whose arms are down and come alongside them. Send that email. Write that card. Make that call. Put your arm around their shoulder and let them know you're praying for them. It'll make a difference in their life. Something as simple as a gallon jar of milk will do it. There's an old song that we used to sing called Bind Us Together. Lord, bind us together with cords that can't be broken. Bind us together, Lord. Bind us together. Bind us together with love. There's only one God. There's only one king. There's only one body. This is why we can sing, bind us together. To kind of wrap this up before the worship team comes, I want us to do something this morning. I'd like everybody to stand. On either side of you is a Moses or an Aaron or an Ur. Everybody's in different places. Some of you have things coming this week. Regina has surgery coming tomorrow. She asked for prayer. We want to pray for her. And Larry, I want you to hold her hand up. Because what I want you to do is take that hand next to you and the one on the other side of you and let's raise those hands and sing this song together. Bind us together. You know what?